Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for today. I thank you, Father, that um, your mercies are new every morning. Father, I thank you that you are in control. Father, you know exactly um, what's going on, and you know exactly what you're doing. I do lift up Phil's dad to you this morning, God. I pray that you would touch him and heal his body, Lord. And thank you, Father, that you are the ultimate physician. And I just pray that you would be with Gilda, that you would give her strength, that you would give her peace, that you would give the doctor's wisdom, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for truth. I thank you, Father, that um, ultimately that you have sought fit to um, draw us out and set us on a sure foundation, and that that foundation is you and you alone. So, Father, I pray that... Um, Father, that we would be encouraged this morning, Father, for whatever it is that you would have for us this morning, God. And that we would hold tight to it for whatever this day might hold, whatever this week might hold for us, God. And we know, Father, that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen.
share something? Sure. Um, today in my quiet time, I was studying. You know, really wasn't studying. I was just laying in bed. I never lay in bed this late. <laughs> I didn't get out of bed till nine o'clock. It was awesome. Um, I haven't done that in so long. Eight o'clock the other day. I thought that was exciting. Um, and I was texting Rob, and then I, the Lord said, "No, you know, this is not just for you two." And I'm like, "All right." So then, asking him to bring me to the end of myself. And to pretty much break me, you know, and just give me something to know that, um, you know, break me to, to, so he can bring me back together, not to where I can do it because of who I was and what I used to do and all that other nonsense. Um, so I was thumbing through Right Now Ministries, and I don't usually do that, I usually look for the one thing I'm looking for, and there was a, a thing called, um, I don't know, it had to do with breaking you. Yeah. This young woman was on there, and she was dissatisfied with her life. Her and her husband weren't married, and I'll make it really short. And she, you know, her husband, she had no idea. She was really big in the church. Parents were good people, but she saw a lot of hypocrisy. So she left, got married. Her husband and her did their thing. Um, but he was studying the Bible, evidently, you know, and studying, not realizing it, and they took a job. He said, I need, I'm going to put in for a job at a church. And she's like, what are you talking about? Because they had money. So she was still dissatisfied. She asked the Lord, you know, the Lord had, in her spirit, told her, you need to go into, she walked, she was looking, driving past this club with women who danced, and he said, you need to go, this is what you're going to do, you need to go in there and minister to them, and she's just like, whoa, you know, she breaks down, she does it, her and her friends go in there, they go into the first club and um, ask this woman at the bar, you know, we don't want anything, we just want to know if we can bring the girls a home-cooked meal once a week or so. And the lady's like, no, that's crazy. So they sat at the table, and the Lord impressed her to go speak to this man. Well, he was the owner. He gave him permission. And this is how good God is. So they were they would bring home-cooked meals in. It was incredible how they ministered to these women and, and the men and, and the owners and stuff. And then this one girl came in. She was staggering all over the place. And, you know, she noticed her, and she walked over. She, and, and Well, she had gone back to talk to her husband. Long of the short of it was she said, we're going to call the ministry Scarlet Hope. And he says, yeah, they prayed about it beforehand, and that's what he had give, the Lord had given her. So this girl's staggering around, young girl, she walks over to her, and she's really trashed, and she's asking, you know, she said, they told him, I have five kids at home that haven't eaten in almost a week. And she said, well, here, let us fix you a plate. The girl just started scooping it out of the pan and started eating. That's how hungry she was. She said, they told me I could make fast money, but I had to take off my clothes, and I've never done that before, so I, I got drunk. And she said, well, let's take this, and the girl throws up on her throws up on the young woman that's ministering to her. She's like, Lord, what, what are we doing? Throws up on her, and she says, will you pray for me? And so the, the young woman prays for her there at the at the table, you know, in the in, in the bar, in the club. And the owner said, you have to leave because you're, you're really causing a distraction here. She looks at the young woman and says, I just received Christ here. In this, in this strip club. And this is this woman, this young woman's and her friend's ministry is going into the strip clubs. And she was so excited, helped her get herself together, took the food to take to the children. And she said, what is your name? And she said, my name is Scarlett. Wow. And she knew then that there was no mistake. When you come to the end of yourself, and this for them, this is just for myself because I had asked for that this morning. Mm. And, I, and when you come to the end of yourself, Everything has to come off the mask. The everything has to stop because he has got to be the one 
that will move you and it doesn't matter what it is and I did send you something the other day about what he had given me I'm telling you it, it's it's liberating but we choose and I have done it several times picked it back up and put it back on instead of being broken for him to fix we always pray mend the broken pieces I don't know if we really mean that prayer because we're so afraid to let go of that because it's what our comfort is but when she said my name is Scarlett it was so confirming to her and I thought wow you know if we'll just get out of our own way you can move in us you know and no matter what's happening in our lives no matter what craziness has taken place no matter if it's health issues um, emotional family financial whatever it is he's got this he's really got this so thank you for letting me share that this morning Father, we do thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. And, Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to get together and just encourage each other, Lord. Um, iron sharpens iron. And we just thank you, Father, for your your truth. We thank you, God, for this ministry and this um, couple, Lord, and these ladies who are, Father, reaching out to these broken women and offering them hope through Christ. And, Father, we just pray, God, that you would continue to Father, just bring forth laborers in our generation that will go, Father, to be your hands and your feet. And just thank you for that, Father, for we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so we do pray, God, for more laborers, Lord. We pray, God, as we open your word today, Father, that we would be encouraged. God, that we would, um, Lord, allow you to Bring about what you have for each of us through this today, Lord. That our hearts will be of good soil to receive. It'll take root and um, just produce lasting fruit in our lives, God. Father, that we just won't be hearers of the word, but that we actually will be doers. And that, Father, our lives will bring glory and honor to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 28 through 29 is where we're starting this morning. Last week we saw Rebecca meddling, (laughs) and because of the outcome of Jacob receiving the blessing, Jacob has to leave now because Esau is full of anger and hatred and wants to murder him. Chaos is at hand. Remember, God promised Rebecca <clears throat> that the older will serve the younger. Forty years ago, Rebecca had that in her heart. She knew this is what God had planned. What we're going to see, and as we continue to move through the Bible and we continue to see God's plan come about, we're actually seeing God's faithfulness to his word. God is going to birth a nation to bring forth a Messiah. He is selecting a people of his own. And in return, they should call him their God. And just as it was then, so it is now. God has a people that he has called his own. He's calling them to himself. And in return, we as his people and this generation and generations to come should call him our God and serve him and love him with our whole heart, 
mind, body, soul, and being. I'm excited today because we open up where Jacob is alone. He's alone. He's going to be sent off. He has a destination that he's supposed to get to, but while he's getting there, he's alone. And as I was thinking about this, I can only imagine what he must be going through. Rehashing the incidents that have occurred, him having to leave his comfort, and now he's alone. And in the silence of the night, when he goes to lay down, God meets him right there. And I find such encouragement in that because I'm sure all of us have gone through seasons, have been through seasons, or are in the season of just feeling isolated and alone. Unsure of what the future holds. Jacob was unsure. He knew where he was going. He, he knew the instructions that were given to him. And we're going to see again, even Isaac blesses him before he goes. But Jacob is alone. And God meets him, you all. And in this encounter that he has with God, God confirms what God established when God spoke to Rebecca. And I'm hoping to encourage us today that God is faithful, y'all, to his word, to his promises. It says here in verse 1, chapter 28, So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padam Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. And may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he has promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner. For God gave this land to Abraham. And I love verse 5. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padam Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. Jacob goes away. But it's an incredible blessing. Did you hear all of the, that came forth? May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. And may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he has promised to Abraham. And may you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner. For God gave this land to Abraham. Mm. This blessing that was given. And I love the fact that Isaac sends him away with this blessing. And you... Isaac is not holding any contempt towards Jacob for what him and Rebekah did. 
There's no contempt. He blesses him. He sends him on his way. And in that, he, 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 he's establishing God's covenant with Abraham. He's bringing that back, if you would, to view. Like, this is beyond ourselves. This is beyond what you did, Jacob. This is beyond what Rebecca did. It's beyond what I've done. And God is the God, is the God who spoke to Abraham. <laughs> and what God spoke, God is going to bring about. And you will end up over this land. But listen to what Esau does. Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Badam Aram and find a wife and that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. Remember, Esau's already married too. He also knew, verse 7, that Jacob had obeyed his parents and had gone to Badam Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters in addition to the wives he already had. So Esau now thinks that he can kind of mend his relationship by going forth and marrying, if you would, someone in, in the family. But he's gone to the wrong family because he goes to Ishmael. Wow. It's kind of stupid. Yeah. Kinda, I mean, he's just now figuring he's, out his dad's not happy with yeah. the women. Yeah. Like, hello, Esau. <laughs> it's striking that Esau even sees Jacob's obedience. And even in seeing that, he himself didn't humble himself to really obey. He wanted to figure this out on his own. Again, doing things in our own strength, in our own ways. And we've got to be careful of that. Because when we're not really seeking the Lord, and we're not walking in obedience, we're left to our own self to make a mess of things. And this is what Esau is doing. Just making a mess. He's thinking he's doing the right thing, but in reality, he's not. So Jacob's on his way. He's by himself. And it says here in verse 10, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to the heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're laying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. 
Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Wow. What Jacob must have been wrestling with in his travel, separated from his family, from his loved ones, the unknown before him, his brother now hating him, his life is turned upside down, and yet he finds this place finds a stone to lay his head on and sleeps. And in that, God gives him this vision, this dream. And God speaks. And to me, that's such a beautiful picture. That even though the mess that we can make in our lives. It reminds me when the scripture says God knows the plans that he has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. My God. We already know that God, the word of God says that he's already prepared good works for us to do. You know, we also know that when we opened up our study that God, when he blessed Abraham, when he spoke to Abraham, he told Abraham, I'm I'm going to do all this through you so that you'll bless others. And I encouraged us back then when we opened up our study to remember that. What God is doing in your life is just, it's not for your own selfish will and, and desire just to bless you, bless you, bless you. No, what God is going to do in and through your life is so, so that others will be blessed. And that's why we must remain humble in this, in this Christian life, that we just don't get so caught up about me, myself, and I, but really seeing it as it should be. Where I'm at, how can I serve you, Lord, and serve others? And God himself even says to now Jacob, confirming again what he has spoken to Abraham, And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Then he goes on and he says, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. It reminds me of the comfort that we can find in Scripture where Jesus himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so I'm also reminded and comforted with the Scriptures that what he has begun in us, he is faithful to complete. He is faithful. And I love this picture of this ladder 
between heaven and earth. You know, in Jesus, this encounter that Jacob is having, it's this revelation of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. And such a beautiful hope that we have. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he also was, but he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place that, it, that it, this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Jacob awoke. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Mm -hmm. In the midst of Jacob's isolation, loneliness, chaos, he wasn't even aware that God himself was pursuing him. Jacob had no clue that this encounter was going to take place. In fact, Scripture doesn't say that Jacob was even searching and seeking for God. Jacob was just on his way in obedience to do what was asked of him to do. And yet God met him right there. God is faithful, you all. God is faithful to bring about what he has purposed, to draw us to himself, even in, even in our mess. God doesn't neglect us. God meets us right there. Right there. And I love the fact that now Jacob recognizes. Wait a minute. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware. And I love the fact that it's even pointed out. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. He had this fear, if you would. He was afraid. He had this respect. He had this sense of being humbled and low in spirit. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone and he rested his head, that he rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, listen to this, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. See his response? Jacob, up to this point, was just going about his life. He followed his mother's instructions. He received the blessing. 
He had to leave. His, he was uprooted now. He's on his way. Not sure of his future. And then God meets him right there. And it's the same with us. God meets us right there in our mess, in the unknown. God meets us. And just as Jacob responded, I pray that we respond. Mm. And worship. And reverence. And covenant. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. So who is like the Lord? Nobody. God, if you're establishing it, God, if you've said it, God, I am believing, you are my God. Remember from the beginning to the end, God's plan to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. And then he sets this place up for a place of worship. And we're going to see that through Jacob's life. This nation come forth. And remember the purpose is for the Messiah. Jesus remember this covenant that God made with Abraham was to fulfill God's promise back in the garden when he said there's going to come one to the serpent there's going to come one that's going to crush your head God is faithful and in this we'll see, we are seeing God's plan just unfolding and now Jacob responds then Jacob hurried on I love that. Jacob didn't linger. Jacob hurried on. And maybe that doesn't really stand out to you, but for me, it really stood out to me. Like so many times, there's times where we just kind of linger. God speaks. You know, we, we have this encounter, if you would, with God. We, we, we have these divine revelations and, you know, we get excited about it. And then we find ourselves, you know, at a place of, of just worship. But so many times we stay there far too long. Far too long. Like Jacob got up. He didn't take up camp. He didn't say, no, I'm going to just stay in your presence here. I want to stay here. No, no. Like he hurried along. He hurried along. Finally arriving in the land of the east, he saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered, but a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was a custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. 
Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked? Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well, Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flock now. And Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they can get out of get out the pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the, sh then the, shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well, and the we will water all the sheep and goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because of the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from his from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. He exclaimed, he explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard this, he knew, I'm sorry, that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him the story, Laban explained, You really are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because, you are a because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older one, which was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have, I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah and Jake to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah and a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Oh, how the tables are turned now. For the one who was the trickster is now tricked. It's not our custom here to marry off our younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed. Seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her so much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban for an additional seven years.
when the Lord saw that Leah, Leah was Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For, the, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and have, has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi. For he said, Surely... She said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I gave him three sons. And once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. God is bringing forth a nation, you all. What's that? Yeah. I mean, we're seeing God bring about his plan through all of this. It may not make sense to us. It may not have made sense to Jacob at that time, or Leah, or Rachel. But what we do know is God is orchestrating all of this. And in that, we really see God's sovereignty at hand. And he's sovereign, you all. Encouraged when the Word of God reminds us that He works out for the good for those who are called according to His purpose and that loves Him. He works things out, He's sovereign. They had no clue what was taking place, and yet God knew. God knows what He's bringing about, even in the midst of, of the situations that we can't even make sense of. God is working. And for that, we can give him praise. For that, we can be encouraged. For that, I would encourage you to go from this place today and throughout your week to be reminded of this. Like all of these events are taking place. And in the midst of it, God is working it out. Go to Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> Matthew 9, verse 18. We're going to read still verse 38 to the end. We pick up as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. Wow, such faith. Jesus, so Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Jesus just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, 
be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. Such faith, you all, being displayed. When Jesus arrived at the officer's home, official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. We see faith in action, and then we also see the compassion of our God. Jesus, you all. Willing to go to the synagogue's leader's home. His compassion to turn to the woman and say, your faith, look what he says here. Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. He didn't rebuke her. No. He met her right there. She went beyond what she should have been doing. First of all, she shouldn't even been in that crowd because in that time she was unclean. Secondly, she was a woman. But she made her way through the crowd. And I think when we've talked on this before, I shared with you all this one commentary that really just gave this incredible picture of how crowded it was. People were pressing up against each other just to be near Jesus, just to follow him. So they painted this picture that literally she had to be crawling through underneath the people because plus two, she didn't want to be seen. And so she was doing everything that she had to do. And if I could just touch just the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. I mean, she could have been snatched up. You know, she was going against everything that was telling her not to be a part of this. She, went, she saw beyond that and she saw her need and she went to Jesus and I love this picture Jesus turns and then I'm thinking this synagogue leader <laughs> like wait a minute Jesus my daughter's dead we're heading this way and you're stopping to talk to this woman I go wow Jesus was on his way but he stopped he knew wait a minute and there's other parts in, in Scripture where we, where we read that he, he turned around and said, who touched, who touched me? <laughs> and they were like, Jesus, there's a lot of people pressing up against you. No, someone touched me <laughs> and received something. And there she was. And I said, God, to have this bold faith. I mean, even the synagogue leader to come to Jesus is pretty bold. But he knew. My daughter's dead, and if there's anyone that can bring her back to life, it's you. And I love the fact that we see all through Scripture, and Jesus, and we'll see, read the next account, but Jesus, though he came 
to heal the sick, though he came and we see these miracles after miracles after miracles after miracle, that his ultimate ministry wasn't the miracle ministry. His ultimate purpose was the cross. But yet he had such compassion that he healed the sick. He delivered those who were demon-possessed. But he knew ultimately what was going to draw people and reconcile them back to God is the cross. He knew where he was heading. But I love the fact that we see him being compassionate. This young girl stood up. The report of this miracle swept the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord. They told him, We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went right out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he's empowered by the prince of demons. So again, we see these religious men missing the Messiah right in front of them. These men who know God but yet did not know God. They had a knowledge but they had no understanding. How sad. To have the knowledge but have no understanding and miss out on what God is doing. And then you have these crowds of people being amazed by all these miracles. Jesus is building a following, you all. <laughs> a huge following. But there's going to come a time, and as we've studied through the Gospels before we know, that when he finally turns to this huge following and he begins to truly lay out his purpose, who he is, you'll have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. When he really lays out the spiritual understanding of his purpose, they said, this is too hard for us to understand. And so they turn. And in a day... In a moment, these people who were amazed have now left. He did the miracles. He healed the sick. He opened the blind eyes. He's raised the dead. He's doing all of this, and they're amazed. Nothing like this has ever been done. They're caught up in the wave of excitement, but yet... When the reality hits, I am the bread of life. When he truly begins 
to lay out his purpose and who he is and where he's going. They don't want that. Just keep performing for us, Jesus. Just keep doing for us, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is like, no. Remember how when he calls his disciples, he tells them, come follow him. Remember as he's going forth, he also says, those who are my true followers will have to deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. He also says, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. Think about it before you choose to come my way. Like he truly reveals himself. And so the question before us today is, do we truly have an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus? Like to truly be submitted to his lordship and not just to be caught up in the wave of excitement and make him to be this figure and this, and this, and this, if you would, God that's not really who God is. You know, we, 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 we strip him of everything. We, want, we make him who we want him to be. And then we slap the name God on him. And then in reality, he's not the real Jesus. He's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the son of God. We make him who we want him to be and do for us and do for us and do for us. And when he doesn't do for us, then it's like, well, or when reality comes back and, and the truth of who he is comes to, to, to revelation to us, how are we responding to it? Are we like those people who just turn away? Or are we like the disciples when he looks at the 12 and says, are you leaving too? And they go, well, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. Like, what's there to go back to? I know, Jesus, we're in it. We're in it to the end. Because you hold the words to eternal life. And what good news is that, you all? Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, calls us out. Calls us out. You know, we talked about it before, Romans 5, 1, where it says, Now, therefore, you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Like that peace with God. Reconciled back to God. The very God who spoke to Jacob. <laughs> the very God who, who gave, who sent his one and only Son <laughs> to reconcile mankind back. The very God who from the beginning purposed the cross. The very God who has met each one of us right where we've been and continues to pursue us and draws us to himself. The very God, you all, whom we should be submitted to and responded as Jacob responded. You are my God. You are my God. This is what you say, then I believe, and I'll follow. I'll go where you go. I'll do what you do. Like Jesus himself, he's the servant, the greatest servant. And I've encouraged us 
You know, and I'm going to keep challenging. How are we serving? How are we serving? Allow in whom we say we believe in to truly impact our lives to be about his business. Because look at how we're ending chapter 9. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, I love this, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. The harvest is great, but the workers, the laborers, are few. And if you've been around me anytime, you, you hear me talk about that, you hear me praying for that, I truly believe you all, and I want to challenge even myself and you all to go out and be effective laborers. Telling others of the good news. Having compassion on others. Allowing God to use you as a vessel to proclaim the good news of Jesus to others. Because the harvest is great. People are open, you all, to have spiritual conversations. And we also know that there are, sometimes you'll just be planting the seed, other times you'll be watering and tending to it, and then other times you may harvest. But no matter what, rather you're planting, rather you're tending, rather you're harvesting, go do your Father's business. Go be about the Father's work, day in and day out. No matter where we're at in our lives, that should be our purpose. We want to be like those disciples who say, where else can we go? We just want to be caught up in the excitement and lose sight of truly who he is. No, we want to be about our Father's business. There's work to be done. You know, the hour's growing darker, but we should be growing brighter. Brighter. Fan the flame within us. And daily get up. Each of us have a purpose daily. No matter where we're heading, no matter where we're going. We all have the ministry of, of reconciliation. We've all been given that. But how we do it, it's different because we all have different giftings. But do it. Someone is going to come along your path. Someone is going to come along that needs to hear about Jesus. And not just hear about Jesus, but see a transformed life. A life that has been impacted by God's grace. Remember, grace is the power to transform. It's not the license to keep sinning. It's the power to transform. Let them see the transformation in you and through you of what Christ has done in your life. Tell others. Go to Psalm 11. <clears throat> and we're going to look at verses 1. Or actually, the whole Psalm. Verses 1 through 7. 
I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on the bowstring. They will shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. The foundations of the law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? I love this. You know, this is a psalm that David penned. And I love how he opens it up. I trust in the Lord for protection. As I was reading through different commentaries, apparently his advisors were basically telling him to flee. To flee. Careful who's advising you. Careful not to be led astray. Careful not to get caught up in chaos. I will trust in the Lord for protection. There may be times that this sermon is given to you that you need to move from where you're at. But there's also maybe times where you just need to remain steadfast and alert. Reminds me when the Word of God says, after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. Stand. So, I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountain for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on the bowstring. They will shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. I love this. Not everything looks bleak. There is hope, especially for Christians. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. So no matter what it may look like on, out there, chaos running amok, As if it looks, the darkness has overtaken the light. It isn't. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on the earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them for, with, with a scorching wind. Oh, but look at verse 7. For the righteous, the Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. The hope that is in our God, you all. That no matter what is going on, how crazy it may look, God is still on his throne. Amen. God is still on his throne. And what he has purposed and what he has established, it shall come to pass. Our Lord is victorious. The resurrection has already taken place. Sin and death have been defeated. We're waiting for his return now. And until then, let's be about our Father's business. Let's encourage each other daily. And encourage yourself in your faith. And whom the one you say you believe in. I love the fact that David didn't give in to the reports that were coming to him. I love the fact that he reminded not only himself, but his advisors of who God is. And sometimes we just need to do that. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of the unknown, remind yourself of 
who God is. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 11 and 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child whom he delights. Ah, praise God. Don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. A great verse to end today. So many times when he corrects us, when the Holy Spirit brings, you know, um, correction and, 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 and discipline in our lives, when he draws us to truth, to repentance, should lead us. He brings conviction to lead us, lead us to repentance. So many times, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit bring about what He's doing in our lives, we turn around, we focus on self. We either start blaming others, we start blaming God, or we start wallowing around in defeat and condemnation and insecurities and everything else that self brings forth. Allow God to be God. Allow Him to discipline us. Allow Him to bring us through. Allow conviction to come and, and then come to a place of repentance. Not to a place where you're justifying your actions that are ungodly, but to a place of conviction that leads to repentance, that brings freedom freedom through discipline <laughs> allow him to work however he needs to work to get us to where we're going be willing to obey and not to fight for something that you feel you need or want mm -hmm. but willing to allow God to be God and God if you've got to strip it from me then have at it <laughs> instead of fighting him let him be God we open today with this incredible picture of Jacob. In a place in a season of his life of uncertainty. And yet God met him right there. To confirm what God has already established. And as it is then, so it is now. God wants to confirm to us everything that he's already established. And in that confirmation that we will draw close to him. And say, yes, God. We want to be about his business. We want to accomplish what he has purposed for our lives. So that when we stand before him, we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So allow him to be God. Allow him to bring forth his discipline in our lives. Respond in a way that honors him. Because it's for your good. It's for your good. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.